Good evening. My name is uh, Abbas Milani. I uh, am very, very sorry for uh, the two complications that uh, have almost never happened. The technical complication has occasionally happened, but rarely. Uh, but the fact that we, uh, the registrar's office had double booked the room and we had to move uh, has never happened. And I think uh, uh, it must be a conspiracy of sorts. Uh, uh, so welcome to uh, the first event of our uh, new winter quarter. Uh, this is going to be a particularly busy quarter. If you are not on our uh, mailing list, I suggest you sign up uh, here uh, because we have several events coming up. Some of them are not on here. Some of them are on here. I'll tell you a little bit about a couple of the more immediate ones. Uh, tomorrow, in at 6.30, in the room that this event was supposed to be, uh, we're going to have Barbade Golshiri, who is going to give a talk called Hallowed Grounds and White Cubes, the relations between burial grounds and art spaces. Barbade Golshiri is easily one of the most internationally acclaimed Iranian artists, uh, uh, painters, uh, installation artists, uh, and now... Uh, stone maker. Uh, his exhibit is now in New York. He is coming, in fact, right now in the air uh, to give a talk for us tomorrow on the subject of his exhibit in New York, a very well-acclaimed and well-reviewed uh, exhibit. Uh, but uh, he's also going to give a talk for us on Thursday. Uh, the talk on Thursday is part of a conference. The conference, unfortunately, is already filled. Uh, although we have about 200 seats, we have a little more than 200 people who have signed up. If you want to try to attend, you need to send the Iranian studies uh, your name. We will put you on the uh, waiting list. The conference is from 2 to 7.30. It is about the launch of the Golshiri archive at Stanford University. Golshiri was easily one of the best modernist writers of Iran, has donated all his papers to Stanford University, we are launching the collection uh, and we are having a conference. Barbade uh, Golshiri will talk, Farzane Tahiri, uh, who is uh, the wife of uh, Hushangi Golshiri, was and still is, I think. Uh, Golshiri has passed, but in spirit she is. Shahriyar uh, Mandanipur, Reza Farrokhfa, Professor Beizai, and yours truly, will be giving papers on different aspects of Hushangi Golshiri's work. The conference is in English, uh, with the exception of one talk by uh, Professor Bezai. We'll have translations if you uh, decide to come. Uh, another event that I want to tell you about that uh, you should, I think, mark on your calendar is March 9th. It will be in CIMEX Auditorium. This is the launch of a new project that we have begun at Iranian Studies jointly with the medical school, Stanford Medical School. Uh, it is called Frontiers of Science Interdisciplinary Project. This first talk is called Evolution of Goodness, Empathy in Animals and Humans. And the basic question that Professor, uh, one of the most famous uh, uh, developmental biologists, Franz Duval, will be discussing is whether morality, issues of good and bad, 
have a transcendental basis or do they have a basis in neuroscience and uh, evolutionary biology? Uh, we are going to have other events as part of this interdisciplinary project, the joint three-year project that we just launched with Professor Parvizi's lab in the medical school. Uh, <clears throat> as for tonight's uh, uh, speaker, <clears throat> we always hear that uh, what is going to ensure that the Iran of tomorrow will be a better place than Iran of today and the Iran of the uh, last 30 years is the new generation. Uh, we hear that repeated, we hear that often. The Time magazine and its cover article wrote about how there is a different Iran pulsating beneath this dour, despotic regime that has authority. Uh, three years ago, when I met uh, uh, Professor Kamahali at Stanford when she came for a visit, um, I realized that she is truly one of the bright lights of this new generation. Uh, I think she is clearly one of the best historians of this new generation of Iranian women who is doing pioneering work. She has done this work in Iran. When she came from Iran, uh, when I first met her, uh, I was absolutely uh, flabbergasted by her competence in history, by her knowledge of uh, historical literature outside Iran, the fact that she landed a fellowship at Harvard, the fact that she now teaches at Tufts at Boston University, and the fact that there will be many, many greater future things for her uh, are truly a testament to why Iran of tomorrow will be better than Iran of today. She's not talking about the Iran of tomorrow. She's talking about the Iran of a thousand years ago. So uh, please join me in welcoming uh, Professor Mayame Kamali. Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for attending this event. Uh, it's my great pleasure to present my talk at Stanford University. I'm so grateful to Professor Mirani for his nice introduction and for his inviting me to have my talk here. Also, uh, thanks to Roma and Franco for organizing this event, uh, despite all these uh, unexpected events. And also, I'm so honored to have Professor Beizai and Shahra Lahiji, my nice friend here. History is such a topic that um, doesn't satisfy any person. So I hope not today not to annoy Zoroastrians, neither Muslims. My own expertise is the history of medieval Iran. I chose medieval times. Sorry. I chose medieval time for my PhD dissertation in order to find lost rings of Iranian social changes that connected modern Iran to its own ancient times. To do this, I searched sources for information on the Iranian medieval time so that I could examine the circle of social changes developed by Iranians who converted to Islam while retaining their precious heritage. It seemed that medieval Iran, which began with the Arab invasion, was a different country from its ancient times. In other words, the arrival of Islam brought Iran into a new phase of history. 
But the problem that always came to my mind was what happened to the other group of Iranians who never converted to Islam and remains Rastarians. What did they do to retain and continue their religion? Why was Rastarianism not reconstructed in the rings of social changes as a dominant effective thought? Why didn't the Zoroastrians' contribution to the Iranian heritage continue onward from medieval to modern time? In this short report, I will attempt to examine this social transformation and to savor, <coughs> survey the status of history as an effective element in social change. 1,400 years have passed from the encounter of the two different worldviews of Zoroastrianism and Islam, which led to the development of both innovations and suppressions. The main result of this interaction, however, was the dominance of Islam in Iran. Iran was the land where Zoroaster and his ideas were born and grew up under the empires from the Khamenians to the Sasanians. But at the end of the encounter, Zoroastrianism, with its long history and deep roots, was replaced by Islam as the dominant ideology and so became the thought of a minority in Iran. At the same time, a large number of Zoroastrians did leave Iran to continue their social life in other parts of the world. So as we can see in this uh, demographic, demographic map, uh, Zoroastrians now live in parts of Asia, including Iran, India, Pakistan, and Northern America and Australia. And based on the table provided by the Zoroastrian Association of North America, the population of Zoroastrians has reduced uh, from 2004 uh, to 2012 uh, in some countries, including Iran and India. Uh, and so it seems that, in, in general, in total, the population has reduced. So let's look at the chronological order of Zoroastrianism to see how it has changed throughout time. Zoroastrianism rose in Iran. The land where was the center of intersection of disparate ideas, including those of Aryan immigrants and those who had lived in Iran before the arrival of, of Indo-Iranians. Zoroastrianism was the unique combination of monotheism and dualism, which arose from common ideas, com ideas common to the people of that time and which helped transform Iran from a nomadic community to a peaceful, sedentary society. Zoroaster himself was a prominent reformist who attempted to found his moral and social order on the basis of contemporary viewpoints while moving Iran one long step further towards civilization. Mitra, an Indo-Iranian god or based on Zoroastrian's idea, uh, is an angelic divinity, is a prime example of this transformation. Mitra means meh, kindness in old Persian, and convention and oath in the new Persian, or Parsi-e-Dari, underwent transformation after arriving in Iran. 
In Gothas of Avestor, the verses written by Zoroaster, we do not find any indication of Mithra. But in Yash, the part of Avestor written after Zoroaster, the chapter of Mehryash is dedicated to Mithra and clarifies the dynamic transformations of the Zoroastrianism towards the needs of the society. So as you see in this relief, um, that is about the um, Ahura Mazda. So you see that the king is in between and Meh and Ahura Mazda are around the king and are supporting him. Historically, it is too difficult to find any detailed account of Zoroaster's life since it is interwoven with myth, legend, and religion. In other words, the life of Zoroaster is never historically examined. The lives of prophets as true carriers of religion is necessary to convince adherents of the historical basis and thus the reality of their religion. At which point in history did Zoroaster rise? Which historical period and context necessitated his presence? The interval which Zoroaster lived is estimated to be somewhere between 600 and 6,000 BC. Noli in Zoroastrian history reduces the interval to between 600 and 1,200. This extensive period cannot possibly clarify the actual historical context when Zoroaster arose. Furthermore, the sporadic points of Avestor do not provide us with any detailed outline of Zoroaster's life. Drawing on Avesta and remnant documents, Islamic historical sources provide us with a short account of his life. Akhbar Tewal is one of the main sources of Iran and is written in early 9th century by Din Abu Hanifa Dinavari, a Persian historian. He says that it is said that Zaradosh, the prophet of Majus or Zoroasterians, came to Goshtas and announced that I am the prophet of God. He gave his book to Goshtas, which is now in the hand of Majus. Goshtas converted to Zoroastrianism and made people convert to this religion, whether they wanted to or not. As Maria Mol notes, these few sources cannot reflect the true outline of Zoroaster's life, and she regards Goshtas, and is called Vishtas in Pahlavi and Vishtas in Avesta, as a symbol of Nokishan or those who converted to new religion. However, we should not ignore the few actual historical facts present in Avesta. In Al-Kamil, Fetarikh, written by uh, Ibn Asir, one of the great historians of early 13th century, he specifies that um, Zoroaster is a prophet from Azerbaijan who presented his book Avesta to Goshtas. So many scholars regard uh, Zoroaster from other cities like Khorazm or Khorasan, but he says that he's, uh, he, it's said that he is from Azerbaijan. Then um, he specifies that um, Zara, Zara, 
Zoroaster brought his book to Goshtas and Goshtas put the book in the in a star in the center of Pars to be yet, to be yet not available to ordinary people. Then Ibn Asir describes how Zoroaster wrote Zandavista, a commentary on his book, and how Zandavista, a commentary on the commentary of Avesta, to make it understandable to every person. <coughs> Ibn Asir specifies that Avesta includes the biography of prophets and some information on math, astronomy, and medicine. Zoroastrianism, as well as Mitraism, was highly honored under the Achaemenians, particularly Darius. Achaemenid inscription in Persepolis and Bisotun are some of the critical sources within the historical context of Zoroastrianism. However, to the destruction and loss of many sources, it is far too difficult to find a true history of Zoroastrianism in this era. Our sources are limited to accommodated inscriptions and histories written by Greek historians such as Herodotus and Thucydides, which undoubtedly saw the Achaemenians from outside and thus from a different perspective. In this respect, Mujmaru Tavarikh Valgesas, that is written in early 12th century in Persian, he states that and complaints about not having historical information about the various religions, including Zoroastrianism. Be aware that there are many accounts in these histories, and every group and religion have developed their own innovations and commentaries. These controversies never end, and nobody except for God knows about the truth of these religions. Some people wrote the history of the prophets like Adam and the flood of Noah. After a century, another prophet rose with a new religion. So the people wrote new historical sources and summarized or distorted the first chapters devoted to the first prophets. Abul Mashay Munajem states that most of the histories are not correct since many centuries have passed over them since those who rewrote the manuscript changed the words and texts and made wrong accounts. The Jews, for example, have controversies over their Hebrew scripts of Adam, Noah, and other prophets. And the Greeks have the same problem, since their 70 accounts are different from others' accounts. Moreover, the Persians have developed the same distortion in sources. As to the Comenians, historians consider Alexander's invasion of Iran to be the main reason for the destruction of historical sources. So in Mujmaro Tavarikh, that is written by an anonymous uh, historian, it says, and the reason is that when Alexander Romi invaded Iran, he got jealous of the Iranian elites and Mobeds. By Mobed, he means Rosarian's priests. Therefore, he gathered the intellectuals to translate the books he intended and sent them to Aristotle. Then he ordered them to burn all the books left from the Persians and kill all the Mobards, elites, and artists. Therefore, all those who knew different fields of science and history were murdered. 
the scarcity of sources under the Seleucids and Parthians are even more notable. The Seleucids established Hellenistic temples at Kangavar and Dinevar. On the other hand, the worship of Ahura Mazda, the god of Zoroastrianism, became common in many regions of Iran. The age of Parthians was the period of Iranian tolerance and the structure of power combined Iranians and Roman thought. The revival of Zoroastrianism on the basis of Iranian values was reinforced in the time of Belash I, but the scarcity of sources from the Seleucids and Parthians is particularly jarring because of the destruction of documents by the Sassanid. So Ibn Asir, uh, the author of uh, Al-Kamil Fetariq, says, based on the Christian calendar and the books of first religions, Alexander invaded Babel in 523 BC, while the Zoroastrians believe that from Alexander's invasion of Babel to the time that Ardashir Babakan, the first Sassanid came, came to power, was 266 years. So uh, it specifies that Ardashir was the son of Babak, uh, and then the son of Sasan, and he ends it to Gushtas, that is the uh, king, Kiani king, that uh, Zoroaster invited him to his religion. As you can see, the genealogy of Ardashir ends with Gushtas, the king whom Zoroaster invited to Zoroastrianism. In other words, the Sasanians ignored long centuries of the Seleucids and Parthians' reign. The corruption that Ardashir Babakan made in the Parthian history resulted in distortions of the Iranian history and its consequences. One of the Sassanid reasons for changing history was that they wanted to locate the time of their reign within the span of the Zoroastrians' millennium. This was because they believed that this millennium was going to end. In consequence, the Sasanians reduced the 4th century's reign of the Parthians to about 200 years. The Sasanians then ruined many monuments and documents of the Parthians and changed them to their own names. The problem of the removal of history or forging an alternative history was particularly prominent with the presence of the Mubers, including Tansir and Kartir, in the power structure. So, as you see in this picture, uh, King is again in between, and Ahura Mazda and Kartir, that uh, is on the left. So he's uh, doing some kind of uh, coronation, uh, and it's a very important ceremony of the Sassanids. Responsible for compiling Avesta and also the history of Zoroastrianism, the Mubers made it difficult to trace the steps through which Zoroastrianism was transformed into the official religion of the Sassanids. Under the Sassanid, Zoroastrianism was promoted to the highest rank of power, and glory. Consequently, it should have more surviving sources from this time. The Sasanian turned Zoroastrianism from
from a religion of tolerance under previous empires to an official rigid religion. They abandoned innovation and suppressed any movement aiming at transforming Zoroastrianism. Mani and Mazdak were the intellectuals who proposed new religions of new understanding of the current Zoroastrianism. Mani rose in Mesopotamia under Shapurban. He had a combined religion based on Zoroastrianism, Christianity, and common rituals in Mesopotamia, which he illustrated in his book, uh, Shapuragan. He had different books, and Shapuragan was in Persian. Mani could have attracted the attention of Shapurban and a large number of people, but he was ultimately killed with the influence of Mubets. A second example was Mazdak, the Zoroastrian priest who established social and economic reformations in Zoroastrianism. His changes were warmly welcomed by Qobad, the Sassanid king. But with the support of the Mughals, Mazdak and his followers were massacred under Anushirban, Qobad's son and his designated successor. These movements were suppressed to restrict any transformation in Zoroastrianism. Suppression of these movements was just part of the history. The most significant part that is not available to us was an exact account of Mani and Mazdaq's movement. This area of history was either removed or forged by the Sassanid movers. These distortions prove that the Sassanid Sasanians and Mubers were fully aware of the significance of history and aimed to change it towards their own favor. But they were ignorant of the fact that the old tree of Zoroastrianism, which had been rooted in Iran for centuries, was gradually fading because of isolation and lack of dynamism. These are all placed during the time that Iran was facing the Romans in the West. The remaining sources of the Parthians and the Sasanians were filled with accounts of battles between Iran and Rome. The Romans converted to Christianity in 313, and therefore their relationship with Iran was highly affected because of the new religion. Armenians and even Yazgird II, the Sasanian king, converted to Christianity although neither of is in the topic of our discussion today. Between the two great empires of Iran and Byzantium, another power developed which was easily ignored, at least at first. Islam, the new rival to Iran and Rome, was born in a spot which was less known and so more remote from military power and from the religions of great empires. Perhaps Muhammad's letter to Khosrow Parviz to invite him to Islam is one of the first remnant sources through which we can trace the encounter of Zoroastrianism and Islam. Muslim historians accounted that after receiving Muhammad's letter, Khosrow tore the letter and sent two envoys to Arabia to take Muhammad to Khosrow Parviz. When these envoys visited Muhammad, they were highly impressed by his prediction of the near end of the Khosrow's reign, which came through with the murder of Khosrow by his son, Shiruye. 
This prediction caused the two envoys to convert it to Islam and stay in Arabia. Is this a true account? What is written in the Sasanian sources about this event? Unfortunately, all the sources confirming this account are written by Muslims and no other voices rejected it. It illustrates that the element of history manifested in accounts without badders showed the power of Muhammad as superior to Khosrow Parviz. Islam was born in the Arabia Peninsula, where besides worshipping deities and symbols, monotheistic Abrahamic religions were honored. Approving of Abrahamic religions, particularly Judaism and Christianity, Muhammad established Islam on solid foundation. He was completely aware of what was happening in two empires of Iran and Rome. When Muhammad and his followers, so Ibn Asir says, when Muhammad and his followers heard about the first victories of the Sasanians over the Romans, they weren't happy since the Romans were Christians. But Kafirs, that he means infidels of Arabia, were satisfied with the Iranian victories since they considered the Zoroastrians who didn't have the holy book to be, to be like themselves. As you can see from its earliest beginnings, Muslims consider Zoroastrianism to be not a holy religion and put themselves in line with Christians who were considered the people of holy books. Muhammad drew on not only Abrahamic religions but also Arab historical traditions. Arabia was a Bedouin society where the number of literate people was limited but the Arabs had a precious historical tradition written in their poetry and stories. The history of pre-Islamic Arabia is called the Age of Ignorance, or Asr Jahiliyyat, even though they had gathered detailed lists of their tribal battles before Islam. Muallaqat Sab is the collection of pre-Islamic Arab poetry about these battles, which were written on a scroll and put on Kaaba. <coughs> the holy place which had been honored by people including pagans and monotheists. These lists were gathered in the book of Muslim historians like Tariq al-Rusul al-Muluk by Tabari and al-Kamil al-Tariq. The Quran is full of historical elements and accounts of events before Islam and the time of Muhammad. These events, this element of history has made Islam believable to his followers and to those who intend to learn more about his religion. Muhammad and his successors developed the Arab historical elements and traditions as a paradigm in order to retain Islam over time. Compared with this novel power of Islam, the question comes to our mind. How much did the Sasanian write about the battles and victories? As a power based on religion, how much did the Sasanian write about Zoroastrianism and its rival in Iran, Rome, and other parts of the world? How much did they draw on historical elements, documents, and accounts to develop a paradigm against other religions and schools like Manichaeism and Mazakism?
Islamic sources, including Quran, Hadith, and commentaries of both the Shi'i and Sunnis, as well as historical books, illustrate Islam both through historical accounts of the life of Muhammad and the growth and establishment of his religion. The controversies between the Islamic schools of Shi'i and Sunni that developed in the historic milieu contribute to the continuity of Islam. These sources applied the paradigm of history as the foundation on which Islamic civilization lay for centuries. As we know, the Arab invasion of Iran in 633 encountered the two viewpoints of Zoroastrianism and Islam. After all exhausting conflicts and incessant atoms, Zoroastrianism, which was the dominant religion of the ancient Irans, was dramatically driven from its homeland and replaced by Islam. It is too difficult to describe the fate of Zoroastrianism more pre precisely than was done by James Darmester in his introduction to the translation of Zandavista. As the Parsis, the Zoroasters of India, are the ruins of a people, so are the sacred books the ruins of a religion. There has been no other great belief in the world that ever left such poor and meager <coughs> monuments of its past splendor. In considering the significance of history as an influential element in making civilization that is highly emphasized by great modern intellectuals such as Hegel, Marx, Nietzsche, and Max Weber, the critical questions we need to propose are these. What was the role of the element of history in the encounter between Zoroastrianism and Islam? How did the Zoroastrians defend their religion and their homeland from the Muslims? How did they transport their cultural and religious heritage to the next generations? Did the element of history in Zoroastrianism develop into a paradigm in order to immortalize the political and social life of Zoroastrians in Iran? <coughs> the thesis that we are going to propose is this. Zoroastrianism couldn't turn the element of history to a paradigm against the growing power of Islam in order to continue its dominance in Iran. To propose these questions is not meant to disregard other aspects of the encounter between these two streams of thought. Many studies have focused on the impact of military violence and the payment of jazia on the transformation of Zoroastrians to Islam. What we intend to examine is the significance of historical elements of Zoroastrianism in the resistance and uprising against Arabs. To do this, we classify Iranians aiming at retaining their pre-Islamic heritage into two discrete groups. So we have two different groups. The first are the Iranians who tried uh, not to convert to Islam, and they resisted against uh, convertions to Islam. And the others are the Iranians who converted to Islam and tried to defend their cultural heritage uh, through penetrating through the Islamic political structure. 
The first group were the Zoroastrians who attempted to initiate a serious resistance against the Arab invasion of Iran. Conquering from two fronts of the Sasanians and the Romans, the Arab troops overran vast territories of Iran from present Iraq to Transoxiana in the east and the lands of Rome from Syria to Andalus in the west. These conquests were accompanied by blood and violence. All these conquests of Iran from the first invasion under Abu Bakr in 633 to the murder of Gazgir III in 651 occurred in a mere 18 years. After the defeat of the Sasanian troops led by the Rustam Farrukhzad in Qadisiye and then in Great War of Nahavand, the Arab gained more confidence to proceed further. Many cities resisted strongly against the Arabs, and this led to the genocide of a significant number of people. Led by Siobakh Mehrani, the people of Ray defended their city against the Arab troops for six years. But Ray was ultimately conquered, and the defenders were violently suppressed. The same type of incident happened in Sistan, Ardebil, Shapur, Shushtar, Ruyan, Sarakhs, and Kerman. Estakh, the former center of force, was the prominent center of Zoroastrianism and so was conquered by violent means in 650. There is no doubt that the passage of time and the authority of Muslims provided the conditions for the conversions of Iranian to Islam. Like Muslims, the Zoroastrians had obligations which forbade conversion to other religions. But having lost political power, the movers didn't have the authority to enforce their rules in society. Hence, many Zoroastrians who were not able to pay jazia converted to Islam. On the other hand, the serious revolts that happened in the first two centuries of medieval times proved that many Zoroastrians persisted to retain their religion. These revolts happened in the last centuries of the Umayyads and the early Abbasids. Behafarid or Mahafarid was one of the first to ride against the Muslim domination in late Umayyads. He was a Zoroastrian from Zuzan, a village in Neshabur, who intended to achieve reforms in Zoroastrianism based on Islam. Abu Muslim Khurasani, the Dai of the Abbasid, said Abdullah ibn Shobe to suppress Behafarid. At the end, Behafarid was arrested in Badghais, uh, in present Afghanistan, and was killed. The other person is Sambad, who, conduct, who conducted the next revolt against the Muslims. He was one of the com commanders of Abu Muslim, who raised the Abbasid to power and then was killed by Mansur, the Abbasid Caliph, in Iraq. Sambad rose in raid in central Iran to avenge the murder of Abu Muslim. Before his death, Abu Muslim had appointed Sambad the commander of the troops and entrusted to him the treasury he had gained through battles. Sambar's troops were mostly from Jebal and central Iran, 
whereas Rossianism was still dominant among the majority of people. Khajanizam Mulmuk, the Wazir to the Sarjus and the author of Siyasat Nome or Siyarul Muluk, refers to Sambod as Gab or that is Zoroastrian and considered him one of the Zendigs or infidels. Quote, Abu Jafar Mansur Budawaniq, the Abbasid Caliph murdered Abu Muslim. Sambod, the governor of Neshawur, was a Zoroastrian and an old friend of Abu Muslim. Abu Muslim appointed him the commander of the army." End quote. To suppress the uprising, Mansur dispatched Jahur ibn Marar Ejli to raid. In the battle in Jorjanban, a lot of jeans, a village between Ray and Saveh, Sambad was defeated and then was killed on the way from Homes to Tabaristan. The next revolt uh, was uh, by Ostad Sis in Khorasan. So we have different revolts in different parts of Iran, especially in central Iran, Jebal, and Khorasan, Great Khorasan. He had an army of 3,000 men from Herat, Sistan, and Badqais. Ultimately, Khazim ibn Khazime, the Abbasid commander of Mahdi, the Abbasid caliph, conquered him in Marvrud, in Khurasan. Mughanna or Hashim ibn Hakim conducted the revolt of Sepi Jamegan or white clothes in Transaxiana and particularly in Kash, Bukhara and Soq. Raising against Siyah Jamegan that were black clothes of the Abbasids and Da'iyan Abbasi Sepi Jamegan asked for the blood of Abu Muslim. It is said that Mughanna claimed to be a new prophet or god, but it's not historically documented. Their revolt was suppressed by um, Sayyid Harashi in Herat. The revolt of Babaki Khorabdin was one of the last revolts of the first group of Iranians drawing on Iranian theology to raise against Mamun, the Abbasid Caliph. Relying on Mazdaki or Khurramdini, who presented a different understanding of Zoroastrianism, Babak founded his reign in Azerbaijan and Jebal, in central Iran, for 20 years, from 860 to 37. It showed that in this time, Azerbaijan and Jebal, and also Esfahan, for example, were comparatively more resistant to Muslim dominance. At last, this revolt was suppressed by Afshin, an Iranian commander appointed by Mu'tasim, the Abbasid Caliph. In Tariq Tabaristan, that is a local history in Persian by Ibn Esfandiyar, Afshin, Babak, and Maziar, the governor of Tabaristan, that is present Mazandaran and Gorgan, were murdered by Mu'tasim at the same time, and so they are considered to have formed a coalition against the Abbasid dominance of Iran. Muslim historians regarded them, the Majus or Zoroastrians, who aimed at devastating mosques and lessening the influence of Islam. These reports prove that the first group of Iranians intended to retain their religion and resisted seriously against Islam. 
However, it seems that there was no positive historically oriented theology to reinforce the results of the resistance and extend them to other rewards, regions, and generations. After the suppression of these revolts, many Zoroastrians migrated to India in order to retain their religion and cultural heritage. The story of Sanjan by Bahman Kaygobad provides an account of the Iranians leaving Iran for India. Tabaristan and Ruyan, Ruyan is a region between Mazandaran and Gilan were the last regions of Iran converted to Islam. After the defeat of Babak, the people of Tabaristan became disappointed about the continuity of Zoroastrianism in Iran. Hence, they invited Zaydi Imams, a sect of Shi'i Muslims, to Tabaristan to preach Islam among the people. As a result, a Zaydi who opposed the Abbasid migrated to Tabaristan and after establishing the first Shi'i dynasty in Iran, they converted Zoroastrians to Islam. Therefore, the land of Tabaristan, which had been maintained with a strong resistance, trusted to Alawites too easily. The Alawites in general and the Shi'is in particular introduced themselves as independent from the Omeyyads and the Abbasid. However, they were never in line with the Iranian religion and pre-Islamic cultural heritage. This transformation from Zoroastrianism to Shi'i Islam was partly because the Iranians' revolts and defenses were not protected by historical elements and accounts. Later on, based on military power and Shi'i theology, the Boeids rose in Tabaristan and expanded their own rule to southern Iran and Baghdad. Two critical elements of Zoroastrianism, that is language and history, were gradually abandoned. It is striking that these regions resisted for such a long time against transforming their language from Pahlavi to New Persian Parsi which was common in Transoxiana and Khurasan. In these conditions, Avesta and Pahlavi did not convey any historical elements of the contemporary changes in the society and politics. By contemporary, I mean medieval time. Arthur Christensen, the author of the history of the Sasanid, raises this question of why such a large part of the Sasanid Avesta was destroyed. He argues that the difficulties of life and poverty prevented the Zoroastrians from compiling the Avesta. Furthermore, while rewriting Avesta, they intended to delete some myths and legends. Traditionally responsible for writing history and compiling Avesta and so retaining language, the Mubers were expected to play a critical role in maintaining Zoroastrianism through written heritage. Of course, there are some Zoroastrian medieval writing. discussing problems that arose from coexistence and interaction between Zoroastrianism and Muslims in the post-conquest period. Dardestani Denik, that is a kind of religious judgment uh, and about legal system, 
با این من و چهره گشیم روایت امت اشا و هستان ریلیجیس بوک کاند آف کانورسیشن باید ریلیجیس اکسپلانیشن بندهش or the book of primal creation and زرتوشنامه or جاماسنامه written by کیکابوس کیخسرو are all written in 9th and 10th century and also آزر فرنبق روایت آزر فرنبق or فروخ فروخ سروش codified in the early 11th century reveals coexistence uh, of contact with Islamic society. However, these accounts were too scarce to reflect the true historical context with which the Zoroastrians faced after Islam. There was the second group of Iranians who attempted to retain and revitalize their cultural heritage in the framework of Islamic structures. This group started their jobs more seriously under the Abbasid. I have written about the measures of this group in my book, Social Change in Iran under the Abbasid, the Perspective of Persian Writing History, published at Roshangaran Publication. Penetrating through military and bureaucratic structures, the second group consciously served the Iranian heritage. The first generation of this group, Abu Muslim Khurasani, the Iranian Amir, and the Dai of the Abbasid, as well as Barmaki, the viziers of the Abbasid in Baghdad, vizier uh, of Mansur, Hadi, and Harun al-Rashid, established the power of Abbasid in Baghdad. In the second step, under Mahmoud, the Abbasid <coughs> Caliph was uh, with an unsteady attempts of Fazl ibn Sah, the great Iranian wazir, and Tahir Zulyaminein, the Iranian Amir, the power of the Abbasid transformed from Baghdad to Marv in Khurasan. Even though these Iranian bureaucrats and commanders were murdered in the end, they managed to establish the first Iranian dynasty in Iran. Under the Samanid and the Ghaznavid medieval local dynasties in Iran, great wazirs and intellectuals were brought up to promote Iranian identity through Persian language and history. Because of their persistent attempts their chosen elements of history became solid paradigms to relay their Iranian cultural heritage to the next generations. The new Persian language, Farsi-Dari, which was the reproduction of mid-Persian based on Arabic letters, gradually developed to become the language of knowledge and science. Many Arabic works like Tariq Tabari and Tariq Bukhara were translated into Persian and masterpieces such as Shahnameh Ferdowsi and Tariq Behaqi were written during this period. But was there any fruitful communication between the first group who remains Rastarians and the second who retained the Iranian language and history while converting to Islam? Did they attempt to fill the gap broadened between them? 
The first group has uh, hardly written anything in this respect. But the second group, people like Khaji Nizamul Murk, the Wazir to the Sajuk, rejected the first and even forbade their employment. Khaji Nizamul Murk regarded Zoroastrians and Khurramdini that were the followers of Babak and they were active in Iran after Babak for two centuries. He regarded them in line with the Ismailis, the branch of Shiite communities who had been against the Seljuks and the Abbasid. So, Khaji Nizam says, whenever the Khurram Dinan rise, the Botanids, that means Ismailis, accompany them and serve them with their lives and property and vice versa. The origins of these two corrupt religions are the same. It illustrates that the second group, including Khaji Nizamul Mulk, was allowed to serve the Islamic political structure as long as they rejected their first group and their religion. So we can find a kind of transformation from Zoroastrianism to Islam through architecture. Masjid Tari Khane, it means the house of God in Dongan, in central Iran, is a good example that shows the transformation from Zoroastrianism to Islam. It's based on the foundation of a Sasanid palace or a Sasanid fireplace, and now it's a kind of uh, mosque, as you see, and you can learn about it through this website. This presentation, in sum, was not intended to completely answer any question, but to raise new, precise, and more comprehensive questions about the history of Zoroastrianism from its early beginning to the present. Have Iranians in general, and Zoroastrians in particular, learned from their joint history? Have they tried to contribute to the science of history by making joint accounts and developing the historical elements to take advantage of its paradigms for the continuity of their identity? <clears throat> Have Zoroastrians tried to make an account of their own history for next generations? Does the Zoroastrianism, whose simple message is good thoughts, good words, and good deeds, have new messages for the contemporary world. Thank you very much. In the beginning of your talk, you had a table of some statistics. And uh, on the top row, you had like 10,000 Zoroastrians in Afghanistan. Yes, it's based on the... Where does this number come from? Because you don't know any Zoroastrians in Afghanistan. It's based on the website and uh, of the Zoroastrian Association in Northern. Oh, Faisana? America. Let's. I have given the address of the website so you can search it. So it's based on documents that they try to. Would you search. repeat the question? Which question? Yes. Oh yeah, he wanted to know about the. Reference that where I found this uh, map, yeah, and how many people live in Zoroastrian lives in Afghanistan. Is that because uh, 
the Zoroastrians now live mostly in, they moved to India, so Afghanistan that was part of Iran and Pakistan have some Zoroastrians. Uh, there has been a, a, an academic movement uh, you know, recently among Iranian scholars in Europe and in the United States also uh, for appreciating the Iranian non-Islamic uh, cultural values. It's called uh, uh, Iranian Renaissance. I want to see if you have heard about that or you can elaborate on that and how it relates to uh, your research about the Zoroastrians. Uh, actually, I haven't heard about this Renaissance, this association, or whatever you say. But in general, the point that I wanted to focus is that Zoroastrians um, and in general Iranians should write history, and by history I mean different uh, different fields. For example, they should have accounts of what happening to them. So when we want to refer to Zoroaster, um, there are many questions that many documents have been destroyed throughout time, and that's true. But after that, for example, in medieval time, we don't see a lot of documents. When they migrated to India, how much they wrote about what happened to them. They had great scholars. They had great mobiles, or whatever happened to them. What happened to them as a community in other parts of the world? What happened to them in Iran after Arab uh, invasion, after Abbasids, throughout the Safavid, and now? So you see, I think that history as a kind of um, element can be helpful in order to retain your culture. When you have something to refer to, for example, when we say that we have many reliefs of uh, Achaemenians, or we have many documents. So we have something to rely on. But when you don't write something, when you don't produce as much as you can, it's much easier to be forgotten throughout time. Just you mentioned that uh, there is nothing or not much from Zoroastrians uh, who moved to India. So that's what I want to ask. Is there anything uh, regarding the differences between Zoroastrians who stayed in Iran and those who migrated to India? Or from, for example, from what regions of Iran mostly they migrated? Or what was the motives of those uh, immigrants or the differences between those who stayed and those who left? It's uh, a very good question. Um, actually, th this is the fact that I want to say that there are not um, a lot of documents and detailed documents. But in general, Zoroastrians lived in different parts of Iran before they migrate, in Khorasan, in Jebal, Azerbaijan, Isfahan, Shiraz, especially Istakh, so and Kerman. Uh, so they migrated to India because they couldn't retain their uh, heritage, their cultural heritage. They were asked by Muslims to live like them. And so when, when you don't have the authority to do what you like, you have to go somewhere to have your own identity. But at the same time, when you migrate, you lose the roots if you, do, if you are not in touch with them. And something that happens not just for Zoroastrians, I think it happens to all the Iranians 
who migrate, so they lose their roots if they are not in touch, if they don't know about what's really happening there. And so it becomes that after some generations, the next generation, they don't have the same feelings and emotions about your identity. They have dif- different views, different words, and different perspectives. So, and it happens to Zoroastrians, and unfortunately we don't have a lot. And we have some stories about uh, Indian Zoroastrians or Iran, but not history. They didn't write about the history of Iran. For example, uh, whatever I said about the reports are based on Muslim Iranians who try to write history. And so, because they live in a political structure, in Islamic structure, they had their own perspective. But Zoroastrian didn't say anything, so they can't reject and they can have a different <coughs> voice. Excuse me. Is it possible that they weren't allowed to express themselves, tell their own history? They were persecuted? Yes, of course. The first act of aggression was burn all the books when Arabs came to Iran. And this continues up to today. Uh, if you like to publish a book, it has to be scrutinized by the government before it's published. So I don't understand if you're blaming the Austrians for not writing those books or whatever you're saying. <coughs> You're right. Um, as you said, many documents, many books were destroyed throughout times or were burned uh, consciously. But, I mean, when they migrated, when, what did they do? What did they do? There was no obligations in India, so they could write something, they could produce something about uh, their own history, what's happening to them not happened to Zoroaster, okay? For example, it's not perhaps directly related, but um, when now I'm teaching, I see that all the Middle East have something to say. They say that, for example, Iran is part of, they ask me, is Iran part of Middle East? Is Iran part of Central Asia? And I think that you need to defend. You need to have documents. You need to, ha- to have your voice. Zoroastrian is a good experience that we should not repeat it for other generations. I think even Iranians, as Muslims, doesn't make any difference. As Iranians, they should have documents. They should write about what's happening to them. They should write about their interaction with their cultures, with other with how they contribute to other cultures. For example, if you have, uh, if you produce something, you should have a kind of label on it. We have different things, but Arabs or people, other people of Middle East try to label it as their own. But Iranian usually they don't, as much as they have done. And I think that. I don't want to exaggerate, but I think that based on history, it's a way that you can retain your culture through documenting it. Mm-hmm. 
No, and you mean that in the medieval time or? Yeah, it's um, a good um, work is done by Abtine uh, Hambari, if I don't make a mistake, that he has done some research on other minorities living uh, in Iran, and so uh, because the Rastanians weren't minority, but after Islam, it's uh, they were regarded as minorities, so they um, they had more obligations in comparison to Jews and Christians, because as I said. Muslim regarded Jews and Christians as their own, and they draw on Christianity. Muhammad draw on Christianity, draw on Jews, and confirm their religion. But for Zoroastrianism, it was not the case. Many many historians, Muslim historians, say that Zoroastrians are not the people of holy book, and they try to say that, for example, Quran confirm it or not. But in general, they had a better condition, Jews and Christians, in comparison to Zoroastrianism. So they retained their uh, culture as a minority. But Zoroastrians changed from majority to minority, and they had to leave their own country. And now they are just, re- they are just reducing. The number of them are just decreasing throughout time. Yeah, as you see, based on this, they would, yeah, even in India, the number of them has decreased. And they are not in touch. You see, they are not in, by in touch, I don't mean that they are just meeting each other. I mean that scholars, they are not in touch with, together, and are, they are not to touch, in touch with other Iranians. Regardless of religion. The number is decreasing because they are converting to different religions, or in general, as you see, you see the total number of them has reduced from one hundred twenty-four to one hundred eleven thousand people. So. Perhaps, yeah. I don't know the reason of the decreasing. I don't know. Perhaps they have converted. Because the next generation have different kinds of ideas. Perhaps they have married other people. and so. Yes, exactly. How can one be considered as Uh, I, mm, can you explain more about your question? So, there was. Uh, I said that Zoroastrian was uh, under the Sasanid, changed to a kind of rigid. Uh, official religion, but it was not the case that we say that all the Sasanians had the same idea. As you see, for example, Shapur, the first Shapur, and also Yazgir too, they had, they tried to um, encourage 
different voices and uh, the, 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 there were some Christian in Iran, especially after second or third century uh, after Christian in Rome. So we had we had different kinds of religions. Jews, for example, Christians, but they were minorities, and they had their own rights. Iranian literature, uh, many people would say the most single influential source is Zoroastrianism. Mazi Asnan, Adabi Parsi by Kurdavi. Henri Korban says Zoroastrianism is the single most influential religion in the development of Islam in Iran. Harold Bloom says Zoroastrianism is the single most important non Western religion in the development of the Judeo-Christian theology. The ideas that Zoroastrianism had given to the world, from heaven and hell, to Messiah, to millennium, to angels, to the uh, virgin birth, are remarkable. So there are two ways to influence. One is to leave a legacy, and then you have barbarians come and burn it, or you build cultural artifacts that cannot be destroyed. I can't imagine any other religion who has had a more profound impact on the world than Zoroastrians. They haven't defended it, you're right. Very few people have come out to show, I mean, uh, some people did, Fry did, some, uh, poor Dawood did, but many Iranians haven't come out and showed the depth of Christianity, Judaism, uh, Manichaeism, the architecture, the literature, the theology, have to Zoroastrianism. We haven't defended it, but the influence of Zoroastrianism is remarkable. And, you know, I, I, uh, I'm surprised you say they haven't left an impact on this. I thank you so much for your comment. You're right. I, I, I agree with you that they had impact on history. But there are two points that i like to add to it, uh, and perhaps you just <laughs> reject it. The first is that Zoroastrians had impact on history, and they, as I said, that they, when they converted to Shiism, you see that they have, and you can see the impact of Zoroastrianism, especially on Shiism. But the striking point is that Iranians decided to change the name. For example, if I do something, I say that I did, but they prefer not to save the name, but say that it is Shiism. So they have impact, but they don't have the labor, as I said. And it's something that you can't claim that it's mine. We know, we as Iranians know, that we have impact, but there are all the people in the world are not scholars that go and look at the roots and see how it affected. So I think that we should um, say that, that is the point. And the other fact is that, in general, unlike the Muslims that try to preach their religion, and they regard it as a kind of world religion, they say that our voice and our message is for all the world, for all the time. But Zoroastrian didn't have this claim. I, I don't like to say that it's good or not, 
I just look at it through history, I don't want to judge, that they try to retain their, um, it as a kind of national religion. So whenever you look at the history of Zoroastrians under the Hachomanishi um, or Sasanian or Parthian, they didn't try to preach it in India or in Rome, but we see that Christian did in Iran, but Iranian necessarily didn't preach it, their own religion in Rome, for example. Mrs. Kamali, um, you know, Arabs attack Iran just was political and economical. You know that. Because in Omar period, the economy of Arabs, Mecca, was collapsed. And then they thought maybe the richest country is Iran. And as Salman Farsi did, he informed them that Iran's government is just in bad position. So you can attack them and get money. It was only for money. It was only for, uh, I mean, uh, getting something as they did with what they got from you. It was not for religion. They never put Iranian under pressure that you must come back for Islam, as the Christian did for uh, South America or some other place. You know that this. It, why it makes politics and religion together? Why, why? I cannot understand why it confused me. Uh, it was in Iran or you mean? No, I mean, I mean, uh, the political attack by Arabs. Uh, of course, when they came Iran, they, they, they uh, what they had said in the beginning that uh, it was we all are brother, the brotherhood and the equality of people. Of, no, I know that it was not. They didn't let Iranian uh, have any weapons. Iranian have not get horses. I know that. And many kills that they had done. But I mean, it was not for religion when they came. They didn't want to stay here. You know that. Yeah. As a historian, you know that, that they didn't want to stay. And they wanted to just get the money and go back. But they, they came, they liked it. They, they liked it. No, no, because our mother Farsi told them, you can stay. Yeah. You know, it is many breaks on. I think you, you're right in, in a way that they're ambitious was a lot. They didn't just wanted to have um, religion. It wasn't but they used it and it worked. So what I want to say is not the point that I agree with you that yes when Arabs came to Iran they wanted to have money, they wanted to survive, they they just understood that they can because in the first invasions that they did under Abu Bakr and Omar at first, they didn't want to invade all Iran. They couldn't believe that they can. But when they arrived, they said, yes, we can, so let's go. And when they came, I think there was a lot of events that happened. It was not just a matter of um, tolerance or obligation or many different events happened. 
But in general, I think that because through the time, history is something that doesn't work today. When it's the kind of interest that you can rely on it in the future. And I think that in this regard, Islam win. Why? Because it's religion is based on documents, it's based on history, it's based on what they try to write, try to say. But Zoroastrians don't write a lot. Iranians in general don't write a lot. Iranians don't try to have facts, have realities, documentaries. They say that we are big, we are very, they are proud of themselves. I am, like you, I am proud of myself. But we should have history documented to show others. And I think in this regard, in the long term, Islam retained and Islam dominated Iran, even though they didn't have necessarily religious purposes in Iran. So basically, maybe the religion is not the reason for improvement. The Iranians and Iran was the only country which was Yes. Maybe religion by itself is an oppressive system, and other people in Iran actually maintain what they wanted to see and change and be different from Arabs. It's a very good point. Thank you for your point. I, I agree with you, and I said that there were two groups of Iranians. In general, the first group were Zoroastrians who tried to retain their language. They were mostly in uh, central Iran that they didn't like to write and in Farsi Adari that was based on Arabic letters. And so when uh, the Buyids in 9th century, 10th century uh, came to power, uh, they chose Arabic language as a language of uh, as a kind of language of science and official language, and me, people, they had Pahlavi. But the other group of Iranians who understood that as long as we don't enter the political structure, Islamic structure, because Muslims had this uh, rule that as long as you are not Muslims, you can't uh, be a kind of administrator. And uh, they were, Arabs were so reliant on Iranian administration, Iranian were the best. But they had this rule, especially under the, um, some of the Omaids, like, uh, I can't remember his name, Hajjaji Yusuf, that for example, or some of the Abbasid event that, they, that you should convert. And so Iranian converted to Islam, but they retained the Persian language through Farsi Adari. And I think that this group, people like uh, Wazirs, that I mentioned them, like Barmakid, and later uh, Samanid Wazirs, that we have a lot of them, or Mughal Wazirs, that all of them were Iranians. They understood that now we have to convert to Islam in order to retain this heritage. It was not something that they liked it. It was a fact that they have to accept. So they did, and as you said, now Iranians have a different language. But let's say this, that is not necessarily related, that many people, many students, that I noticed that 
They are not Iranian. They are from America, Canada. They don't know that Arabic and Persian language are different. They don't know that Iranian have Persian language. And so I think that we should try to distinguish our culture. We should try to do that. Yeah. which affected both Judaism, Christianity, and then comes Islam. So we should not forget that as a big contribution of Zerustalian to, to the world. I agree with you. I, this is just a thing that I try to say that Zerustalianism had a very critical role. I, I don't want to reject it. On the other hand, on the contrary, let's say, I try to say that it had, but we as Iranian didn't defend it. You see, I think that after Islam, they, for example, scholars like Christensen said that many Zoroastrians, because of poverty, because of everything, they didn't have time or anything to just write Avesta, and so many parts of it just lost. And so it's the matter of fact that we should regard human humanities, we should regard culture as part of our life, not something as just entertainment, as hobby. It's part of our life in order to retain our culture. You know, I had a little difficulty in uh, <clears throat> one of the notions that you set forth that uh, people of this country or Canadians and so forth mix up the Iranians with Arabs. I think that has a lot to do with ignorance of the of the, the culture here of the uh, of those lands as opposed to some folk, especially the Iranians, not maybe evangelizing their culture better than they have. Truly, that's that is a problem, but I'm not mm. so sure there's a cause and effect here. Yes, yes, it's just part of the case that you're right. It, they should know a lot, but. I think that's because we have a lot of Iranians in different parts of the world, and they should try to do that as a kind of representative of Iran. Yes. Well, uh, I know that although the Zoroastrians are a very small minority in Iran right now, but the Islamic regime still uh, feel a threat from it. And they spend a lot of energy to discredit them. Uh, I know that Ministry of uh, Information, they use the intellectual for hire uh, to discredit them. One of them is put on Reza Shahbazi, who wrote a book about discrediting the Zoroastrian in, uh, in India. And they use other uh, so-called uh, intellectual to do that. We know that these days, because of the people are so disappointed with uh, this regime, they uh, stay away from Islam. And I know a lot of people from my people that I know, and I heard a lot, that people are less religious than they used to be. I mean, the people uh, of their own government, like uh, Ahmad Tawakuli, who is the head of a security committee in the parliament, 
it says the corruption is at the strategic level, which is attacking the roots of our, our system. And at this time, that a lot of Iranians are supporting but there is not an alternative to use them or to appeal to them, and then it becomes a political uh, movement. Uh, my question is, do we have any idea of how appreciation of this legacy it can create an alternative base for a new political movement? I'm not a politician, and I'm not interested in politics in general, I think. Why? Because <laughs> history and politics are so different, and I think that we should try to distinguish between these, these two fields of study. In general, the point that I want to say that Zoroastrianism should be regarded not just as a religion, but a kind of culture. So when you say that we should have a kind of alternative for Islam, I think that it's not the matter that we should try to convert people from this religion to that. I try to say that this religion by itself had, has its own greatness because it's based on very deep roots in Iran. You see? So it's not a matter that because this regime is not a good regime or really, so we should convert to the other religion. The matter of history is not a matter of today. What I refer to is the medieval time. We had the same stories in that time. We had the same kind of obligations and detentions. But they did their best. Those who had obligations did their best in order to retain their power. What about the people? How did they try to retain their culture, their heritage? This is the fact that I try to refer to as when I say that history and politics are different, when we try to interfere these two fields, we don't do anything. We say, okay, so everything is reduced and nobody is over there anymore. But I think that Zoroastrianism in general and Iranian culture in particular has deep roots. And so because it has roots, it can be revitalized through times. And it's the help of all people, especially scholars, who are interested in human science to uh, contribute to this culture. Well, thank you very much.